Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. take a look at some uh, text today and so on and uh, so let me just pray for us before we step, step into our message this morning. Heavenly Father, may you open our hearts to be expectant people that you are speaking to us today. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I do want us to come expectant to our message to, to today uh, because sometimes when I write messages, I'm tossing and turning in the middle of the night and I want that to actually mean something, meaning uh, that, that something's going on. <laughs> Something's going on, and I think God is speaking to us when we talk about prayer. So I hope that we come expectant. Did you know a sermon is not a TED Talk? It is not a uh, lecture series. A sermon actually does something particular. A sermon is God, through these spoken words and words you read, that we are actually going to encounter the living word of God, <laughs> that, you, that the Holy Spirit would actually meet you in this moment. And so something goes on here, not to just inform you, but to change you. I say it's to uh, unsettle you and to resettle you, that something's going to move inside. And I don't often know what that is. My job isn't to conjure that up. My job is to just be faithful to the work of setting us up to encounter Christ together. And so we're going to be doing that. Hey, we're talking about prayer. Our sermon series is Jesus Prayed. And we're gonna, we've been looking at some of the messages or some of the ways that Jesus prayed and paying attention to what that means for us. One of the first times I remember praying and feeling like God answered me was I prayed for a Russian cosmonaut. It was 1991 and the Soviet Union was collapsing and I heard on the news that Sergei Krikalev was stuck on the Mir space station. Well, you know what I did that night? I went to my room, I got on my knees and I was like, Lord, this is the scariest thing ever to be stuck on a space station. Save Sergey. Help Sergey come home. And I remember praying this. And I remember, I think I might have gone to my mom or asked to turn on the news or something to be like, is Sergey home? Is Sergey home? And I remember at, at time, and I, and I had to go back and look at the news, uh, but he'd been up there for a while because as the Soviet Union collapsed, there was no rocket ship to go and bring him down. And I prayed, and guess what? He came home. And I was like, did I do that? I, th I thought I did. I was like, I prayed and Sergey got home because of Preston uh, beside his bed. And it was like the first time that I felt like my prayer actually did something. That God actually heard me. And I'm like, oh no, people at NASA probably helped. I bet all these other people did. But deep down I was like, I bet I tipped, I bet I tipped it over. I bet I was the one that convinced God to bring Sergey home, you know. I should call Sergey and see, just let, let him know that I'm on his team there. Hey, we're going to peek into some conversation, a conversation that Jesus had with God. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it is that Jesus is talking to his Father. And it's a prayer that sets us up to understand who God sees when God prays. What does God think of Preston Walter Puto as he's kneeling beside his bed as an 11-year-old boy praying for Sergei? What, what does he see? 
And we're going to look at us through a prayer that Jesus prays about us. This one time Jesus prays for his disciples for a lot of things, but this one part of John 17 that he's praying for the, the believers that are yet to come. That's, that's us. So what Jesus says about you and me in a prayer kind of reveals something about what Jesus thinks about us and how maybe we're to pray. And it's really a prayer about identity. So we're going to jump in. Hey, uh, do you have titles? We celebrated a big title today, and that's moms, right? All the moms. Mom is a title. It's probably like, like top, top shelf title. I have some titles too. Uh, I got a number of, of them. And the ones that are used the most, the ones I like, are like dad, husband, son. These are titles that I have in this world. Uh, and then overlaid on that are like vocational titles, like pastor and reverend or chaplain, right? I got these other titles that some people see me through. I got these academic titles like doctor or, or professor that, that I carry. But guess what? I'm not all those titles, thankfully. <laughs> there is something even more, even beyond my title of dad or husband, which I hold cherished. There's even another title for me that changes me because of Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in a second. There's some people that have even way more impressive titles. Do you know what the official title of the Pope is? This is, this is pretty, pretty, pretty epic. Um, this is his official title. He is Bishop of Rome, Vicar of Jesus Christ, Successor of the Prince of the Apostles, Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church, Primate of Italy, Archbishop and Metropolitan of Roman Province, Sovereign of the States of Vatican City, Servant of the Servants of God. Right? Pretty, pretty, pretty major. I actually tend to like this, 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 this Pope. But he has all of these ones and these Servant of Servants, right? It's interesting. Titles kind of have a dichotomy to to them. I like the Queen's title. The Queen, this is her title when she comes to Canada. She has lots of titles in different places, but when she she comes to Canada, she is this. And I kind of like it too. Elizabeth II, by the grace of God of the United Kingdom, Canada, and her other realms and territories, Queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. That is the Queen's, like, official title. Paul, in the Bible, he actually had a pretty impressive title. And when he was talking to a group, when he wrote to the Philippians, he wanted to make a point of something by talking about his big title. But he did something interesting with it. This was his title. He said this, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have all the more, he said. And then he goes off. He says, let me tell you my titles. Let me tell you what I got down. He goes, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. How do you top that at a party, right? It's like, dude, you, you got this, right? Look at these titles, the Queen, the Pope, Paul. What does this all mean? These are remarkable titles that they carry with their role, the burden that they carry on their shoulders, but they have other names that actually matter even more to them. Names that they are called because they are loved by someone else. Did you know Pope just means Papa? (laughs) That's actually what Pope means. And when he became Pope, he took on the name Francis, which I spent all last summer reading about St. Francis, and St. Francis was a really humble guy who just lived with the poor. (laughs) He has all these titles, but really what he identifies with is Francis, Papa, a very intimate kind of title. The Queen, I love it that the 
the queen's family calls her Lilibet. <laughs> That's what she was called growing up. And even better, her husband Philip called, calls her Cabbage. That's actually what they, that's her, his nickname for her, cabbage. The queen of all the realm, oh my little shoe, my little cabbage, right? What a term of endearment. And as for Paul, we'll come back to him in a second. I think Jesus um, shows us something really important with even his own title. You see, Jesus, we learn, and there's so many, just these litanies throughout scripture of how amazing and magnificent Jesus is. And he is. But Jesus brings forward his title to us in something that we call the seven I am statements of John. And I'm wondering if we could put those up, up here. Throughout the book of John, John writes and he's trying to, and he captures very poetically, John's like that, he captures these seven I am statements of Jesus. And Jesus lays out for, his, for those that are talking to him, um, or to, to those that he's talking to, who he wants other people to know him to be. Uh, and I love what Jesus says here. It reveals a lot about him. Look at what he says. I am the bread of life. What a title is that? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. Try putting that on your business card, right? I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. What's going on here? How does Jesus introduce himself to a world in need with these as his titles? A door, bread, light, shepherd, resurrection, a vine, a plant. What, what is Jesus saying here? Well, we know that Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is and what he is getting on about. And out of this identity, he then prays for us. So this Jesus, this door, this vine, who is this? What is this identity about? He then prays for us, for you and me. Look at what he does here in John 17. Pastor Evan did a great job of taking a look at the first part of John 17 where he's praying for his disciples, the people right around him, saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to be leaving soon, but I'm going to pray for you. Then he steps it up and says, I'm now going to pray for those that come after you. So this person here is now praying for us. This is what he says, and I want us to hone in on a couple of interesting things. So maybe I think the next one here. This is what Jesus prays. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, meaning these, 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 these 12 guys around him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So the re one of the reasons why we believe today is because we heard the message of these disciples, and now we are the believers, right? So he's praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, and you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So he's praying for this unity. This is, this is one of the most important things that Jesus is saying. I believe that all those people that come after, 2,000 years from now, in Chestermere, he says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus is praying for this unity, not just that we would get along, but for this level of unity between Father and Son. This, this, this deep identifying unity. And that they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So he's praying that we would be postured inside of God somehow. That we would be up and in Jesus. It's kind of hard for our imaginations, right? I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you 
are in me. Jesus is casting this picture and praying that God would bring, would bring us right into God. Right into the very heart of God. This is, this is hard for us to get our head, head around, right? What is he saying here? But here's what Jesus does. He takes his identity as Jesus, so unified with the Father, he is very much 100% God, and then he does something else. He takes you and me, and he welds us right into. He like stitches us in. He molds us in. He, he, so that we could have his identity in us, right? We suddenly have his identity that comes to us. And everyone who believes in Jesus will have this identity fused. That they will be able to pray to the Father and receive the Father. Jesus, they're just like Jesus. We get the full identity of us, in us. All the right and good things of Jesus, the theological word is imputed on us. It, we are covered in it. The language is just trying to get us like, however you can squeeze us together with Jesus, that is your identity. We have the very identity of Jesus when we pray. When we talk to God, we are praying in this just like Jesus talks to God. That's crazy. It's not my titles that, that get God's attention. It's not what I've accomplished externally that's getting God's attention. It's not even how I kneel and fold my hands a certain way, grip till I'm white in my knuckles. Maybe that'll get God's attention. We already have God's attention because God and Jesus, they're talking, and we get to be right in on that. God hears everything you say. Because when he sees you, he sees his son, who he loves and covers you. Even your sin, your brokenness, your failures, all that, guess what? Jesus has you covered. You're imputed with the righteousness of Christ. You're seen as holy. You're seen as perfect. You're seen as adored. You're seen as delighted in. You are held and and even more when you pray. So, and this is true because Jesus says so. He says so in his prayer. So what does this mean? Our identity changes when we pray before God. And it changes because who Jesus is becomes our identity. So let's take a look at these again. These identities that Jesus had, I am the bread of life. It means that we are provided for. That's my new identity. I have an identity as the provided for person. <laughs> I have the provision. God has done that in me already even before I begin praying. Because it's Jesus' identity and now it's imputed on us and it's ours. I am the light of the world means we can see in the dark. We can move in the darkness. Um, I'm sometimes called to be into dark places. To see dark things. As a pastor, I'm invited into not so holy places. And it's dark. And I sometimes don't know the answers. When I sit across somebody who's going through a messy divorce or, or somebody who has bumps in the night in their house or scary things that they experience from their past that's, that's all coming up, I step in the dark and guess what? Because of Jesus, I can walk and move in the dark. I don't have to flee from it. I can go into it. And I don't have to worry about that. Because of Jesus, uh, I am the door means, guess what? We have a way through. <laughs> Maybe we have a way into something or a way out of something. But we have a way. We aren't stuck as Jesus people. I am the good shepherd means that we are protected. That is my identity. I am the protected one, Preston. <laughs> I have a shepherd who will not let me go astray, but he'll find me all the time. Because of Jesus being the resurrection and the life, we have hope in death. We don't have to be afraid of death. 
You don't have to be afraid of what is next because we have the resurrection in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I wasn't sure how to summarize this one up, but I said this. We are not the accused. Did you know the Satan, the word Satan, the Satan, just means the accuser? <laughs> Somebody just comes and accuses you. He says, you're this. You're not that. You're not good enough. You're a pile of whatever. Well, guess what? I am not the accused because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus says there's a vine and there's branches and they're fused in. They're, they're bolted on. They're woven in. And guess what? When you're bolted in, I guess you shouldn't bolt trees, but you know, you're uh, connected to, that means we can be fruit-bearing people. We have our source of life and we can produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that stuff from Galatians 5. So if this is true of Jesus, and now it becomes true of our identity, imagine how that changes the way that we pray. As people fully filled with God's Spirit and the very identity of Jesus on us. It changes us and we almost don't even believe it. We almost can't even think that that's how God would see us. Well, it worked for Paul. Paul, who had all of this identity, that thought that all of this sense-making of him being such a great, holy Jewish man and all that, well, he does something with that. He actually tosses all of his identity out in exchange for Jesus. He lived out of this new identity and thought it was way better and way more liberating than any of his old titles, and he was emphatic. Right after he went on this tirade of what his identity is, he says this, I once thought these things valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I think we have it on the next, on the next one here. Yes, here, I'll read it again. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So his value is found in knowing who Jesus is and being in him. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. It echoes Jesus' prayer, right? I pray that these people would be one with me, one with the Father, right? And he's like, I, I want to become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law, right? He thought that that's what it was. If I can just be good enough and get everybody else around me good enough, then we're going to solve some things around here, right? He says, that's worthless. Me trying to get myself better or get some other people better, it's nothing. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteousness, righteous through faith in Christ. Did you know that there's a bit of a challenge here? The challenge is this. I think sometimes on the outside we put our titles or our facade out there to somehow show the world that we got it all together and we got to like hold that up. Has anybody ever tried to hold up the outside facade? It's, right? It's hard. I've done it. I do it, right? Holding it together. But there's another thing that we don't talk about very much. It's the inner facade that we tell ourselves. Did you know there's something called the myth of authenticity? James K.A. Smith, a philosopher, he says that it is a huge burden that we put on ourselves and others to seek internal self-actualization. <laughs> it's saying, if only I can go through and work out something so deep inside of me that I solve all of my problems inside. 
and we go on this labyrinth inside, this internal labyrinth of self-awareness. And maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll be particularly, singularly unique. Maybe one day, I'll, I'll be able to prove my special uniqueness. Maybe one day inside, I'll sort out all of the mess inside of me. And if, and if I can just do that a little bit more. But it's a labyrinth. Externally and internally too. Self-actualization on the outside and self-actualization on the inside. I think that that's why sometimes I see these like little things on Instagram pop up and it's just like, you can rely on your inner person. <laughs> just, just go deeper. And you'll find what you, you have everything you need. And I'm like, I've been so deep and I've not found what I need inside of me. You know how deep I've gone? And you're telling me to go deeper? I can't. I can't. And Paul is saying here, he's saying, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Right? And so he finds what he's looking for. Sort of Paul being the Pharisee with a long title, he becomes simply this, Paul, servant of Christ. <laughs> he exchanges it all to be that, a servant of Christ. That's how he introduces himself. So here I am, Preston, with my new identity. <laughs> maybe I am God's little Francis, or maybe I'm beloved cabbage. <laughs> Those are good, right? Ah, I am Preston, neither reliant on my external identities, that you get to see, or reliant on my internal have-it-all-togetherness. The, the myth of self-actualization and authenticity, both, I think, are fraught with danger. And Jesus comes in right like a sharp line through it all and says, Preston, I give you my identity. My identity is yours to take, and I'm going to fuse you and weld you to me so that you have everything you need. You do not have to be an expert of going deep inside or an expert of looking good on the outside. I want you to be an expert in utter reliance on me because I got you, I made you, and you are mine. And I want you to help everybody else who is stuck in the vortex of trying to figure out who they are and what they are about and how to hold their lives together to say, you teach these people to be Christ in them. <laughs> I am Preston, Christ in me. <laughs> I am covered by Jesus Christ who loved me and made a way for me to be here. Ah, the pressure is off. I don't want to be 80 before I realize how to live pressure-free in this world that is full of pressure. I'm covered by Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is mine. So I'm going to end with this. Paul says in Colossians 2.6, he says, Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord... As you become welded and fused into the very identity of Christ, so walk in Him. Go. I pray this week, as you pray, that you will pray out of a new identity in Christ. Know that as you pray for Sergei up on the, on the Mir space station, that Jesus is listening to you because He sees, because the Father sees His Son. The smallest thing you pray for will be heard. The smallest thing you bring before him that's broken will be heard. The thing that you can't figure out inside, you can give it to him. And the thing that you're trying to sort out on the outside, you can give it to him and say, I want you instead. That is a better identity. Because I want to be free. I want to be free. And I think it'll change the way you pray, and it'll change the way you live. So grateful for Jesus praying for all of us.
Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for my friends who, who are doing the good work of seeking what it is to follow you. I pray that you would meet them in, 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 their, in their efforts. Meet them and give them your identity. That they would pray as people who are protected. That they would pray as people who always have a way through. That they would pray as people who are always provided for. That they would pray as people who can move through the darkness. That they would pray as people who have hope even in death. That they would pray as people who are not accused. And that they would pray as people who are made to bear fruit in this world. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for your gift of your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me. Friends, I love you. Thank you for being on this journey with Jesus. I think God is doing something really powerful in our midst and very meaningful. And I hope that we will experience, even in this next week, the presence of God. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here today. Amen? Amen. Have a really good, good, good week, everyone. Peace to you.